What's going on, coaches? Hopefully you guys are doing well. Uh, me and Coach Walls had some really good meetings uh, here the last couple of days talking about some things that we're going to do to expand RTP, to help us learn, help you guys learn even more, um, and really uh, expand what we do. So really excited to announce that to you guys um, when the time is right here in the next few days, few weeks, we'll announce that and we'll get that rolling. And we're really, really excited about that and, and can't wait for you guys uh, to, to kind of see what we got going on here in the next few weeks and then uh, what we got planned uh, for you guys next year. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the powerful Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication, offering cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com, email them at info at sidelinepower.com, or you can give them a call at 800-496-4290. Also, this episode is sponsored by the Wounded Warriors Project. You all know many uh, service members who are fighting for our freedom are coming back wounded, not just physically. Many are living with combat-related depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Others face isolation. Thankfully, Wounded Warrior Project is transforming the way injured veterans are empowered, employed, and engaged in our communities. Since 2003, they have been tireless advocates for our nation's finest, improving the lives of over half a million warriors and their families. To learn more about what you can do to support their mission, you can visit them at woundedwarriorsproject.org. And then last but never least, Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. Uh, Broken Arrow's offensive line, where I'm at, where I coach, we use Team Attack Academy, and it's great. It's really given us a leg up uh, this offseason and going into this season. Uh, it's the most powerful teaching tool introduced in the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. And that is is going to do it for the reads. We're really excited about this episode. Uh, Coach Segler uh, was on there with us, and we just had a blast. Every time I've seen him, um, he's been more than accommodating. He wants to talk ball. He loves hanging out with coaches. It was a great episode. We recorded it a couple months ago, so we're really excited to finally get to release it. Coach Segler is currently the tight end coach and special teams coordinator at the University of Louisiana Monroe. He also... Looks like the dude from the Big Lebowski, so his presence definitely ties this episode together. Uh, Listen as we talk with Coach Segler about his football journey and recruiting stories throughout Texas and Louisiana, the importance of having tight end coach to develop your tight end prospects and recruits, and the benefit and secrets to being a successful special teams coach within your program. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Coach underscore 
Segler, which is S-E-G-L-E-R. Hope you guys enjoy. Coach, we're really glad that you took the time to, to talk to us, talk some football. I know you always do anytime I see you out at clinics. So I was really excited when, when you said you'd be willing to, to come on and talk to us. So if you want to just kind of give everyone a background, kind of how I knew you, I know you just got a, uh, a new job now, but just kind of how you rose through the ranks and, and got where you are from playing and now to, uh, to coaching. Yeah. Um, first off, you know, I want to thank you guys for having me on, you know, you had my boy, uh, Coach Nall on, uh, Nall Dog, the other day. I listened to that one, man, that guy. You want to talk about salt of the earth kind of dude and guys that I love being around. And like you said, talking ball with, with good good people. Um, you know, kind of my backstory, yeah, I'm a fourth-generation coach. Uh, my grandfather coach, you know, my old man, is uh, still – he's a basketball coach up in North Dallas, up at Little Elm High School. And my brother actually is the head basketball coach in eastern New Mexico. So I, I guess I'm kind of the, the odd duck in the family. I coach the one that – when you drop the ball, it goes all different directions. It don't bounce back up to you. Um, but, uh, but you know, well, I went to high school in Texas, uh, born and raised uh, outside Austin, Texas, and uh, went to uh, Anna Consolidated High School, played football there, um, and then ended up playing at uh, Sam Houston. Uh, I was not uh, what you would consider a star player by any stretch. Uh, I was a preferred walk-on there at Sam and, you know, just kind of one of those guys that love ball, love playing, and uh, – beat my head in for uh, four years doing that. And then uh, when I got done playing, you know, kind of thought I was going to go in the family business, if you will, you know, do the uh, high school teaching and coaching. And uh, just kind of when I decided to get my graduate degree, get my master's there at Sam Houston, um, you know, the book kind of caught me of, you know, hey, maybe make a run at trying to coach in college. And uh, after my first year of grad school there at Sam, uh, I, I got a job being the O-line coach and tight ends coach at Lon Morris Community College outside of uh, – it's, in, it's actually in Jacksonville, Texas, and got the call from the head coach. They were starting a program, and I got thrown to the fire. You know, I had in my own room. I you know, had to help come up with a playbook and really just kind of got thrown into it head first. and I thought it was an awesome experience. Um, after I was there for a year, left, and I had the opportunity to come back to Sam Houston uh, when Coach Fritz got the head coaching job there. Uh, they didn't have an offensive GA. They had two GA positions. They had one they used for defense, one they actually used for special teams with Coach Fritz. And so uh, Coach DeBess, Bob DeBess, who's uh, now at Georgia Southern, uh, he kind of – I got reached out to him, and they needed somebody who I guess was dumb enough to come over there and work for free. And uh, <laughs> I did I, I did exactly that for about uh, 18 months. Uh, I worked there for free. I uh, worked nights at the uh, local uh, watering, watering hole establishment, uh, working the door. I was probably the only bouncer in America who had a master's degree already, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just kind of the opportunity you couldn't pass up, you know, and I got to work uh, closely. I know you guys have talked about on here. Uh, that's where I worked with uh, Derek Wernheim. Uh, he was our online coach and got really close with Derek. Uh, he's still one of my closest friends in the business uh, to this day. And he gave me a lot of, a lot of levity in the online room, you know, as far as in the meetings with him and then out on the field. Uh, you know, he's, we split all the drill work and stuff, and he really put a lot on my plate, and, and I really appreciated that, that he had that kind of level of trust with me to do that. And, uh, you know, Derek and Coach DeBest, they moved on to uh, New Mexico from that point after our first championship year there in 2011. I got brought on uh, full-time as the tight ends coach after that 2011 season, and uh, kind of I've been, I was there for, you know, ever since uh, at that point. You know, I was the 
kind of added on the tackles tight ends role as well as actually the last two years at Sam Houston I was the special teams coordinator um so uh that was a that was a fun role and uh obviously got me the opportunity where I'm at now I'm at the University of Louisiana Monroe uh coach coach Vitor you know he coached at McNeese State in the there in the Southland for a long time uh had a ton of respect for him as a head coach and that program I mean McNeese up until these last few years when Sam we really kind of had our run McNeese was really the class of the league forever. You know, when I was a player, I mean, those guys were unbelievable teams and tough guys played hard and had a chance to come up to Monroe and work with him and couldn't pass it up. You know, a lot of really good good people on the staff here, and I'm um, excited to be – this will be my first spring recruiting for uh, for the Warhawks, so I'm excited to get out and, and uh, bring some big-time players back to, to Monroe. That's exactly right. Now, you know, just like we were talking, there's just so many athletes in Louisiana and Texas. It's just, I mean, a, a hotbed worth of kids. It's got to be, uh, like I said, you don't have to drive very far. And like you said, you don't have to drive very far and you find, you know, a, a ton of athletes. So I'm sure you're excited to, to get to stay down there. Um, when, when I was in Houston uh, playing, Sam Houston was good that entire time, I think. They were either winning national championships or going to national championships. Is that – and I. Um, you know, I don't know a ton about Sam Houston. Is that what they've always kind of been known for? Was it something that, that when the new coach came in that he kind of, you know, brought a new new era to it? Uh, well, you know, when I played, you know, Florida, that 07, 08 period, you know, we my freshman year, you know, Coach Randleman, who our weight room's actually named after, um, he'd been there forever. Uh, they always kind of had some up and down seasons, 2001, won the conference, made it to the semifinals, lost to Montana, you know, long-time FCS power. Uh, my freshman year, you know, Dustin Long had transferred from A&M and same deal. You know, we were, you know, throwing the ball around, scoring a ton of points. Uh, we, we ended up losing up there in Montana to those guys my freshman year. And then, you know, we had some good seasons, you know, kind of up and down. You know, one of those things that, you know, the league at that time, like I said, McNeese was a big-time power in the conference at the time. Uh, Stephen F. Austin was kind of beginning there, a little bit of their run. You know, they had – you know, Jeremy Moses that won the Walter Payton Award there. And, you know, when Coach Fritz first got there, whenever I first got came back to Sam in 2010, uh, you know, we inherited a team that had some missing parts, uh, missing pieces of the puzzle. Um, the good thing was, though, you know, Coach Whitten and the previous staff had done a really good job in recruiting some big-time players. And, you know, we kind of walked into a good situation, especially on defense. Uh, had a ton of big-time players on the back end on defense. And, Coach Fritz, you know, he was a JUCO guy to start out. Coach D2 forever at Central Missouri. He's not a two-lane. Um, you know, his programs are always going to be hard-nosed, hard-edged kids that are that know how to work. They've got that lunch pail mentality about them. And when we finally got that kind of going at Sam um, in 2000, like I said, in 2010 and then in that 2011 season, you know, we just kind of blew the lid off of it. And, you know, we kind of brought some different things to the table offensively. Uh, you know, Scott Stoker, who's actually with us at Monroe, uh, he's our linebackers coach. He was the DC then, and Scott was a big man-free pressure defense. Um, you know, you had to get the ball out of your hands, or you're going to get, you're going to wear it. You know, on defense. So we played a really physical style on defense, and we kind of started the trend that Coach Fritz took to Georgia Southern, and they still do a two-lane. You know, we were kind of that Nevada hybrid. You know, read zone, pistol, gun, triple option team. You know, modernized. You know, not the Georgia Tech slot T stuff, but a little right. more kind of modern modern style of the triple. Uh, we really kind of took the conference by storm and the FCS by storm because it was just 
you know, if you've never seen that before and you only have a week to prepare for it, I mean, we were just, we were gashing people, you know, on the ground and, and that helped our defense. You know, we possessed the ball and that's something Coach Fritz always preaches. I'm, I'm a believer in that too, you know, possessing the football, keeping your defense fresh to where they can go out and play lights out football so you can, you can compete at a high level. And then, you know, we did the same thing in 2012, you know, went to back-to-back national championships, uh, unfortunately lost uh, to the, to the Bison both times. Uh, and then the, the kind of dynamic changed uh, rather drastically. You know, I always joke whenever Coach Keeler came in after Coach Fritz left to go to Georgia Southern, uh, you know, it was, you know, we went from Georgia Tech to Texas Tech. You know, we went from <laughs> playing, you know, possessing the ball, the triple option, you know, that kind of mentality to playing as fast as you can humanly play on offense, throwing the ball around, and, you know, your true air raid kind of principles and RPOs and those sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, Coach Keeler came in, like I said, we, we went wholesale into it on offense. And to me, I grew a ton as a coach, you know, because I went from being, you know, basically the second line coach when Derek was there when we were running the triple to, you know, then I went from being that to being, I, you know, I had to develop as a school coach, you know, and I had to learn the back end on defense and reading coverages and coaching my guys in a different way because of what we were doing on offense. And, uh, you know, Phil Longo was our OC Phil's actually the OC at Ole Miss now, uh, you know, and obviously learned a ton of football from Phil. Uh, he's kind of in that inner circle of those guys, you know, the Kingsberries and Leeches, you know, those kind of dudes right. that are that air raid style, um, you know, and it was, you know, I had to learn how to be a different coach, you know, because you're playing so fast and you're, you're trying to run so many plays and you're trying to keep the defense on their heels. You know, you have to coach a different way. You know, you, you, there's no coaching in between plays of practice. You know, it's coaching off the tape. And we're going a million miles an hour of practice so we can go a million miles an hour in the game, you know. And I think that was different. You know, you kind of have to sometimes, unfortunately, as you know, being a, an O-line purist type guy and what you guys do there at BA, um, you know, you kind of unfortunately have to – there's some, some sacrifices and compromises made in the O-line room. Uh, right. Because, again, te- technically speaking, it's so hard to be really clean and really technically sound playing that fast. But – when you're able to kind of meet in the middle there and get as close to that true technical style that you want to play with playing that fast, you can really do some damage and and really put, put a hurt on people on offense. I've always thought too, that the tough part was, and and I know you can preach effort all you want, but I think it's, it gets to be sometimes really difficult to get your lineman to give great effort to the ball when, when it is a no huddle, hurry up offense, because you know, you're so big on, Hey, get, get on the ball, get on the ball, get on the ball. There's just not as many, finishes and like you said from a from an offensive line purist uh standpoint that's not as much fun but uh when I played it was also fun when you'd see guys gas out in the second quarter so you know like you said a little give and take to it but you could still really make people want to quit just by being in that much better shape than they are there's no doubt and I think you know that's to me, the teams, you see the elite teams that play that speed and play that tempo, that's how they are 365. You know, you can't train slow in the weight room and train slow in the off season and expect to play at that level, you know. And I think that we, because we kind of monitored everything we did, playing that fast and doing, you know, everything at a high tempo and a high, you know, high level of speed, you know, for us, like you said, I always liked it for those guys because, again, those elite pass rushers, those elite D linemen that, you know, one-on-one, you know, situation, a drive block or a one-on-one pass set, you you may have a lesser athlete and a, a, not as good a player, but when that guy's played 95 snaps, you know, he went from being an All-American to being a, you know, a third-team all-conference guy, you know, and you kind of limit some of the star power of some of the defenses you play because, 
you know, and I also thought we always did a great job because we played at such an just unbelievable pace. You limit what you see defensively, you know, and when you're huddling and you're playing at a slower tempo, that DC's got times, you know, he's getting all his, his whole bevy of calls that he's had on the call sheet that they've worked all week in because you're playing at a little bit slower tempo. So you may see some more variety as far as fronts and pressures and things like that when you're playing at a, at a huddle pace. But when you're playing fast, I mean, they got to get the call in and they're just trying to get guys lined up, you know, and it is fun when you watch cutups and, you know, you're, you got your GAs and your student interns are trying to tag the film and they come to you, coach, what front is this? Cause there's nine guys turned to the sideline trying to get the call <laughs> and you're snapping the football, you know? And so that, yeah. that part's fun for those guys. And, you know, again, I know those guys have, once they finally get to it and you really kind of get to be who you are as a program offensively, they kind of, they really buy into it and enjoy it a lot. Coach, what would you say your, your premier offense is? I mean, if, if you could kind of sit down and do it, cause I mean, I've, I've been out in Mexico and I've learned all your, you know, the, the zone triple stuff. And at the same time, yes, I've also seen a lot of the, the, uh, the spread air aid, the, the, the tempo, the way that they practice. What, what do you think, what do you think you'd kind of like to be? Uh, you know, man, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot. You know, I, it's funny, you know, you, 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 you're the one who's been breaking my heart, tweeting all these pictures and these clips of North Coast State <laughs> out there and 22 personnel getting downhill and doing that stuff. Me personally, you know, I like that style of play. Like those guys play just because you can control the clock. You can, you know, slow the game, you know, slay the game down for your defense and keep them fresh. Unfortunately for me, you know, and again, it's part of just, to me, it's regional based, you know, in the recruiting process and the recruiting world, we just have different humans down here. You know, and I, I always say, and I remember, you know, we went to national championship in 2011 and they, they do like a deal at main event. It's like a bowling, you know, competition between the two teams. You know, we get off the bus and we got a bunch of really good athletic, lean looking guys. You know, we got speed, just speed to burn, you know, kids from Texas, kids from Louisiana and Oklahoma that can just ball, you know, and play. And then, we walk in and then I'm standing in the doorway and I see those guys get off the bus and they're all six, five, they're all two fifty five or bigger, you know, they're long. It's just like, they just have different humans up there in that part of the world that they can play with and, and recruit to. And, you know, if you have those kind of guys, I'd love to play in that kind of offense, you know, to be able to really pound people, you know, and, and physically break people's will. Cause that's what those guys do on offense. That's why I'm so impressed with how they do things. But, you know, just for me personally, I know, you know, we, we played and we dabbled in the no huddle tempo stuff in the triple option game, uh, but I always wanted to try to play in true tempo and do that stuff at a higher tempo, stay in your 11 and 12 personnel stuff and, and do that and play at that high rate. So really, if you had to ask me, it would kind of be a marriage of, of where I come from, you know, as far as the three zone triple mixed with the tempo game, because especially now with the the way that you can just play with defenses as far as formationally and, you know, personnel-wise as well. I mean, if you're able to play fast and not sub and be able to throw the ball down the field and play action protect, get downhill and run the ball and be physical, but also now add that element of a now third option of now we can pitch the ball off a support player. I mean, you want to talk about some sleepless nights for some DCs, man, that would be, that'd be a lot of fun. So, and that's honestly what I thought, too. I thought, you know, when I was down there, I thought they could play a little bit faster just because up front the rules were so simple. I mean, your first combo is pushing outside the box. Your back backside combo is going to usually be working to the to the mic, and then obviously you're going to yep. be leaving two two dudes on the backside. It was easy to count. It was easy to, to be able to play, and especially if, if guys, you know, didn't get lined up. I mean, to me, now you're, you're just handing it off and you're ripping people with, with inside zone. So – I, I, I was no kind of, there's no doubt. 
I was kind of surprised. I mean, and, and you, you really go back and look at him. He coached the best that sat down with us. He's like, everyone thinks we run triple. It's just triple presentation. You know, 60% yeah. of their offense was just handing off inside zone, and everyone thought it was Coach, triple. And I, I used to tell people all the time, they say, how do you stop Sam Houston? Make us, make us give the football every time. If, yeah. if we can run inside zone and we can beat you, then you aren't going to win anyway. You know, but <laughs> it's amazing, especially, like I said, that 11-year – I mean, the ends chasing the mesh, we're pulling it, we're flipping it out to an athlete, and it's just untouched. I mean, you see more – I saw more explosive, untouched plays in that 2011 and 2012 season than I have since, you know. And it's kind of – I always, you know, got a little frustrated, you know, and I know that they've done it – they did a better job when, you know, Doug and them went to Georgia Southern, and then now they're at uh, – they're, now they're at Tulane of playing faster, you know, but I always kind of was frustrated with – we're no huddle operation, but we're huddle tempo. You know, if yeah. anything, let's get in the huddle, let's break, be in a crazy formation to do our stuff. And now they're kind of, now we're kind of screwing with them a little bit. You know, I just always thought like, guys, we're playing slow. Let's just run the damn plan if we're going to do this. You know, why are we, <laughs> yeah. why are we putting, why are, why are we putting these signals on us and on these kids if we're not going to play fast? You know, it's kind of silly to me, but, you know, I was always the young guy in the room. So I kind of had to say those things <laughs> under my breath and, and hope nobody heard me, I guess. So. <laughs> well, that, that was one of the nice things about you go down there as a high school coach. You're like, man, I, I think I'd be going a lot faster here. But, you know, at, at the same time, I, I'm telling you, what a, a great offense. And I, to me, I, I sat there sitting, I'm like, if you had a guy who could throw a deep ball consistently and then you had, you know, receivers like they had at McNeese or receivers yep. like they, they had at Sam Houston, to me that offense would be unstoppable. Because, I mean, okay, no okay you're, you're going to try to play low and you're going to try to play man-to-man coverage. R- run a man coverage against the options, a death sentence, for one. No doubt. And then if you're going to try to play, you know, low, low quarters where basically your, your, your corners are on an island anyway, you're going to get killed by the pitch or now they can crank the ball over the top. So I'm like, dude, if New Mexico could ever get two receivers that could go, this offense is going to be unstoppable. Well, I thought, you know, we had we had a good thing going with Brian, you know, Bell as a quarterback. You know, Brian, he's the OC at uh, China Springs High School here in Texas. That's where he went. He went to high school when his dad's the head coach. And Brian, I thought, I think that off- offense is so based off of the operator. You know, Brian mm-hmm. was such a great yeah. operator of the system. He had a really good arm. And actually, the funny part was Brian threw the ball all over the field at high school. You know, he came, yeah. at, he came to Sam really as more of a thrower, but he could run well enough. He could throw the ball down the field and – I always, you know, thought that, you know, we always taught those play action shots were touchdowns in our offense back when we were doing the triple stuff. You know, it wasn't a, hey, look for an explosive play. We're getting plenty of those on the full pitch stuff. You know, those plays were based off of, again, we, your eyes are out of place. You're in a bad position. We're throwing thing over the top. And, you know, it's just, it is hard, you know. I mean, it's to recruit kids to that system. they got to be big enough to be able to physically withstand the blocking on the perimeter and doing that stuff. But they also got to be able to stretch the field vertically to throw the ball through as well, you know. And, again, mm-hmm. that's why I said it's so, so – again, you go back to, like, Nevada when Kaepernick was there. That guy can throw it, but he's also a big freak that ran it. So now you kind of have to deal with both, and it's just hard. Usually that guy who's a really good runner in the option is typically known as the best passer. <laughs> you know, you see yeah. with Georgia Tech and some of those guys, there's guys running wide open down the field and they're throwing it 10 yards short of the guy because <laughs> that's not who they are, you know. And so I think – I think it also, it's, it's, you know, it's, as everybody knows, you guys know it. I mean, even at the high school level, the guy back there with the ball in his hands, typically if he's a star, if he's not back there, if it's his, the second guy or the third guy, your, your team changes drastically, you know? So you kind of got to run that gamut of, Hey, we want the quarterback to be a threat to run it. 
but we also don't want him getting smacked around too much to where he's not going to be back there for us taking snaps, you know. Well, that's kind of what I was curious about is is you go into it, you guys have been winning, you're running triple, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's not like you guys were doing poorly, you know, you're winning big-time ball games. Then you bring in a new guy that wants to change it, you know, completely different. Now it's air raid. It's, like you said, like Texas Tech now. So how – obviously you bought into it eventually, but how long did it take you to – buy into that just a completely new system after winning you know for so many years well I think the things to me was you know and just speaking kind of just being as the guy I guess who was there through in the entire process you know 11 was when we finally we kind of really just head first went into the read zone triple stuff and we kind of took everybody by storm you know again it was like we invented the forward pass like people had never <laughs> seen it before oh my god what are we doing and also we had we had you know the, the pride of the 405 Midwest City Bomber, Tim Flanders, back there to hand it to. So when we did get the yeah. – they did force us to give it, that guy running inside zone was pretty special. <laughs> so, trust mm-hmm. me, that helped a ton too. But, you know, we kind of – 12, we did some things. The hard part, again, as you guys know from being ball coaches and studying that stuff, I know, like I said, Brady, Brady went down there. They talked to, to Bob at New Mexico. Formationally and motion-wise, you kind of pigeonhole yourself at times. And so, mm-hmm. if that's who you are and you kind of – you don't continue to advance and you don't continue to evolve. You know, I thought by like after that 12 season, you know, when we went into 13, it was kind of like, okay, people knew, hey, back away, tight end, three by one. It's going to be read zone. They got to bring the slot as the motion guy, or it's going to just be read zone with a quarterback with a tight end as a lead blocker. And you just kind of, again, formationally, you got to try to be more creative. I know that was the one thing I was super impressed. And I remember texting Doug throughout the entire uh, 14 season, whenever they went to Georgia Southern, was they did a bunch of different things out of the gun and kind of counter option and some different reads and some different, you know, things that were new and fresh. And they were just roasting people at Georgia Southern that first year when they got there because he took it and advanced it even more, you know. And I think that's the hard part, you know, in the RPO stuff when you're playing fast and you're in the air raid, it's the same concepts. Everybody's got the same concepts. We're just doing it at a high pace and we're just forcing to make decisions and bad decisions because we're going so fast. You know, when you're doing the triple stuff, it's a slower pace. So you, like I said, you as the play caller and you as the offensive staff, you have to be more creative as far as personneling it, formation it, and that sort of thing to where you don't kind of pigeonhole yourself to, hey, listen, these are the plays that are going to run out of this formation. These are the plays that are going to run out of this formation. And we got, you know, so I thought after that 13 year, to be honest with you, I loved it still. And I still love it as I said earlier, you know, but I kind of felt like, hey, listen, you know, we got to kind of, we maybe need to try something new. You know, we maybe need to refresh some things. And, and Phil came in, you know, with a track record, you know, in his offense, you know, as, as far as how much success he's had offensively, you know, Phil's, you know, background proved that obviously it's a very productive, awesome offensive system. You know, and again, we we went from leading the country and or almost leading the country in rushing, you know, when Coach Fritz was there to then we led the country in total offense for I think it was 16 and 17 for sure. And then 15, we were in the mix to lead the country in total offense then, you know. So to be able to make that kind of just complete 180, you know, philosophical change, one, I obviously contribute to our kids. They did an unbelievable job of adapting to the system. But two, I mean, we did a really good job of going and finding guys that fit that system. You know, and it's a lot easier to recruit a wide out to, to catch, say. Uh, you know, 100 <laughs> balls and, and have 1,500 yards receiving than it is to, to block the triple option. So uh, <laughs> that part was huge, too. And, and again, it just kind of led to what you opened with when we first started talking there. You know, Rowdy is, you know, there's every offense to me is personal base. And, you know, you could have Vince Lombardi calling plays, 
But if you got guys like me up front blocking, you're going to struggle on offense. You know, you got you got some dudes out there wide out. You got a dude at quarterback. You know, we had, you know, Jeremiah Briscoe won the Walter Payton Ward, you know, back to back years these last two years. You know, so having dudes makes the system go really well. And then you can do some fun things, you know. But again, I think it's all relative. You know, we, we were dominant on offense, elite to, to, I mean, we're breaking our own records the last two years, you know, offensively. But defensively we struggled because we're, we're putting those guys in harm's way you know right. they're, they're playing a ton of snaps mm-hmm. you know we go out we have an explosive you know we throw a fade ball for a touch well those dudes haven't even had a chance to get a water and they're freaking running back out on the field to, to go back out there and try to play d you know so defensively you know that that hurts you at times because again we're not putting them in any any good situations but if you score yeah. more points than the other team at the end of the day you still win so well, that's, that, was, that was one of the was yeah. one of the things that I always thought that Gibbs did so well when he came to Houston was, you know, you had a lot of these coaches with that up-tempo air raid that were trying to be the same defense coordinators and, and go by the same stats. And it seemed like – now, I was, in, I was in none of his meetings, but it seemed like more what he was trying to do just from that practice was get turnovers. You know, who cares how many yards, yeah. and we're going to give up some touchdowns, but if we can get three, you know, two, three turnovers a game, our offense gets it two or three more times and we win the game. So it's kind of been no interesting doubt. to see some of those coordinators go to that on defense with some of these up-tempo offenses. Yeah, and I think a guy that I just know personally, and I think he's an f- unbelievable ball coach, Justin Deason, he was, they just won the national championship there at Commerce. He's actually now an incarnate word, and he spoke at a clinic. You know, we had a little one-back, kind of private one-back clinic, and he talked about, listen, we're unbelievable on offense at Commerce. Like, that's the bell cow. That's who we are, you know, but – I mean, you know, it's just that's that's unfortunate part of it if you're a defensive guy. But I know that, so I know what I have to do to help us win football games is, like you said, we got to force turnovers. We got to be smart. We got to try to play simple, but play fast to where our guys can make plays. And we we have to do our part to where our offense. We know they're going to do their thing. We just got to go and do our part to where we kind of, as a team, kind of still have that you know camaraderie and chemistry to to win games. Which again, obviously, they they won a national championship. So my guy. My guy must be knowing what he's talking about. I I couldn't agree more. I, I sat and I watched, you know, N- Nebraska spring game this weekend. So, you know, obviously some of the, the guys that, that kind of got the start with, with tempo, but I've gotten to know the D coordinator pretty well as well, Coach Shenander. And he says the same thing. So, I mean, his formula is sacks and turnovers, and then they want to obviously eliminate explosive plays. But he's saying the same. He's like, hey, man, there's some games we're playing a game and a half on defense so he's like I I totally understand I'm gonna give up yards I'm gonna give up points but he does such an awesome job I think of getting those guys to to buy into that and then play to that and then you know understand that hey man we do give the ball back to that offense they're gonna score 42 to to 50 points a game we're gonna win a lot no doubt well you know the guy kind of I talk it's funny you bring that up too you know our our corners coach Perry Carter you know, he, he was at Texas Tech with Gibbs this last year, you know, and that was one of the things Perry said, you know, they basically came in, you know, and he asked Perry, you know, what happened with you guys whenever he was, because Perry worked with the Texans when Wade Phillips was there, you know, and Wade Phillips basically came in and he cut the playbook in half. And then he said, and then we're going to cut this in half. And so he limited schematically what they were going to do because he wanted those guys to be able to play fast, get lined up and just play with speed and be athletes that may, and make plays. And, when Wade was with the Texans, unbelievable on defense, you know, and then Gibbs this last year, I mean, Texas Tech led the Big 12 in defense. I mean, that's unheard of. That's never, those words have never been uttered in, in human history, you know, so, but no. he, but, but Perry, you know, Perry said, you know, that was the thing they did as a staff. They came in, 
they limited the amount of calls, what they're putting on the kids, so they could play fast, they could get lined up, and then just put them in position to make plays. And again, in, a, in the possibly the best offensive conference in the country, you know, to lead in, in total defense, that's that's an impressive stat to lead defense in the Big 12 as, as good as those offenses are, you know. So I think you got to limit it a little bit on defense if you play in a, a system or a team, a program that that's their approach and mentality. But, uh, Again, it, it's all relative. You got to have cats too, and they've they've improved on defense at that place, especially at Tech, just personnel wise. So they are, are able to play, you know, better on defense there too. Coach, I've always been curious. You know, obviously at a you were talking about you're on recruiting now, and and so when recruiting at a, a school in in Texas and now in Louisiana, just such a hotbed. You got every school in America coming down there, so you're not you know you're probably not getting the five star, four star kids. So. Uh, you're going to have to find some kids, you know, diamonds in the rough, if you will, or, or whatever you want to call that. So what is, you know, what are you guys looking for when you are looking for some of these kids? Because, yeah, everyone wants the kid that's 6'8", 330, that runs a 4'6", but, you know, he's he's probably at Alabama. He's probably at some of those schools. So what do you what do you look for when you guys are looking for kids that you think have a big potential to play and, and really get a steal from some of these kids? Uh, you know, me personally, I think these days just – and it's it's the nature of where football is going because of the love and the excitement and the national exposure of the game. A lot of these kids are, are playing football for different reasons, you know, and a lot of kids are in love with the process of getting recruited. They're not in love with football. And I think for us, you have big-time players and guys that are star players that you recruit that are interested in you and they want to play, but – when the process ends and signing day comes and they sign the dotted line, are they going to be just as excited in summer workouts to go out and run and then come back after that and go through your player-led practices? You know, are they going to be excited in fall camp when you're, you know, you're, they're all beating each other up and, and playing a bunch of snaps and, and that's when it gets real, you know? And I think mm -hmm. to us, that's, we, we do a lot more character and background research in my opinion than, I think some schools do. Some guys, I think they read the list. Who's the highest-ranked guy? I'll offer him. We're good. You know, and to me, I'd rather take a, a two-star kid that's a great person that loves ball and it's really important to him than take a four-star kid who's a bad kid. He's a, he's a locker room lawyer, and he's a guy that is in it for the wrong reasons. You know, he cares about how many uniform combos you got, not what kind of <laughs> offense you run, what kind of relationship he's going to have with his position coach, and what kind of academic opportunities he's going to have. You know, so – I think, you know, you got to, especially being, you know, now at the, the mid-major level, you know, like Louisiana Monroe, um, you know, I think it's something you got to find guys that are interested in, in that opportunity, you know, and, and find a place where, you know, there, I feel like as a program, you know, I'm new, I'm the newest, one of the newest guys on staff, but just being there for the spring, being around Coach V and just our staff, you know, and our kids, you know, it's, there's a buzz there because I feel like we're on that cusp of possibly taking that next step and moving that thing back to where, you know, they're a program like they were back in the 80s when they won a national championship in the 1AA level, and, they, you know, they had big-time success. You know, I feel like we're this this class of recruits, if we have another big class, could help us be this class to get us over that hump, you know. And, again, it's all about what opportunities the kids want. You know, if they want to be – they want to play in front of 90,000 people, well, guess what, man? You need to go You need to go with Coach Walls and go to Nebraska. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's where you need to go, you know. But if you're serious about playing and you want to play, you know, and – and be around good people and, and work with a, a just unbelievable staff like we got at our place, you know, then those are the kind of kids you got to talk to and recruit. Coach, are you guys uh, tempo offense down there at uh, Monroe? We are, we are, we are not. Um, we are no huddle offense. Um, we, we have, we have, you know, some, 
some uh, we call them green words or some some you know go fast plays and some things, and we can change our tempo. Um, but we're not, you know, we're not light light speed fast like we were at Sam Houston. Um, for me, that was a little bit to get used to early in spring. <laughs> now we practice we practice super efficient. I mean, we're we're turning and burning. I mean, when that yeah. thing when stretch hits, I mean it's two hours and it is. They're 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 sleeping good at night because <laughs> they're gas because we're going. But uh, but we don't we don't necessarily play to the just breakneck speed. Um, you know I think for us that's just kind of that's not who we are uh, offensively. Um, they were I'm I'm really lucky. I mean they were top 25 in total offense last year. You know and have all those guys except for one of our uh, offensive linemen back on, on offense. So again I'm kind of I'm the one like hey don't let me screw this up. <laughs> we obviously got a good thing going so. Just let me get in here and coach my coach him up and, and, and try to help be a part of it and help maybe take it to the next step. So I remember my first year coming out of Houston, I got to come coach at Broken Arrow and, and it was tough those first few months getting used to not being let's go, let's go, let's go, now, now, get on the ball, get on the ball. Everyone's staring at me like a weirdo. <laughs> no doubt. God, no this doubt. Seems really it's slow. Just, and it wasn't that slow. We weren't playing real slow, but it, it was it, compared. Oh yeah. I mean I, I love it because like whenever I was at Sam, you know, people would come watch and they'd be like you guys are so fast. And when you're at practice, just like you were from playing in that system, I'm like, what? I thought we were slow today. Like, what are you talking about? We're going fast. And then you get in the game and it's like, oh, wow, no, we're, we're really fast. They're right. We're, we're really, really fast. So, Well, you, we've talked about a few times, Coach, you know, different guys being able to, obviously as a tight ends coach, you moving some different guys to come play tight end. And then I, I would assume also with, with what you've seen tackles going to nowadays, you losing a few tight ends to the tackle positions or maybe even defensive end mm-hmm. positions. So um, how does that work out sometimes for you guys? Is that, is that just something that you have an idea when you're recruiting a guy or is it your sophomore year for a kid and then all, and he's, you know, a third string defensive end and you say, well, let's try him at tight end. And then, and then he just happens to excel at that position. Yeah. You know, I think it's all, it's a lot more uh, based on kind of who you are as an offense, you know, at Sam, before, you know, really even in the air raid stuff, it was kind of funny, you know, even though we were going fast and we were an air raid offense, my group, my tight end group especially, there was – I had a bunch of different body types. You know, I had some more longer, leaner receiver type body guys. And then I had some true like H-back, six-footers, 250 pounds kind of brawler guys, you know. And we still – because we had so many skill guys and we did so much like I was talking about in the RPO game and doing that stuff – those guys were, were much more relegated to being blockers than true pass catchers. Uh, you know, at Monroe now, you know, I've got a lot more taller, leaner, you know, bigger wide out looking body types, you know, the 230 pounds and 35 pound type guys, um, you know, but like you said, though, I think it's, you have to adapt your personnel if, if you have some guys that are struggling, you know, and I think the way the games change, especially up front, guys are so athletic now on the, on the defensive lines. I mean, you look in the NFL and you look at major college football, the most athletic people in the on the team are not the DBs. Although they're freakish, the most athletic guys on the team are those D linemen and defensive ends. You know, those guys are, are just unbelievable athletes. So now the offensive line position has to become more athletic, you know, and that's why like you said sometimes if you get that big tight end body who is a you know, a twitchy kid who has some length to him, you know, you could possibly move him to that, that tackle spot. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said, it also has a lot to do with the kid. You know, we've we've had some times where we thought that that would be a good idea. But, you know, again, you play the position, you know. I mean, if you don't have that dog in you at the line of scrimmage, if you don't have that dog in you as a tight end, now I'm going to move you in a spot. You're going to go get some more bigger physical guy who, who is about that life. You know, it's sometimes, <laughs> you know, it doesn't always work out. You know, if you got a kid who isn't that kind of just – 
kind of you know grinded out grimy kind of kid you know if he's a, if he wants to be a skill kid putting 35 pounds on him and telling him to kick set he's he's gonna play like a skill kid still you know so i think it's i think it's more to me i think you got a lot more success with moving a defensive lineman to the offensive side than you do moving a skill kid getting them bigger and moving them in that's just kind of my opinion um partially i think it's awesome too because again as you guys know a lot of time those kids that just play defense their whole career there's no bad habits. I mean, it's literally like a just raw lump of clay that you can teach them, you know, here's how you get in the stance. Here's a, here's your proper, you know, first step on, you know, tight zone. Here's your, you know, how you, how we're going to kick set, you know? So it's like those kids, cause they don't have any preconceived, you know, they didn't go to some lineman camp and get taught how to pass set by some guru guy. They didn't, you know, have two line coaches in high school tell them how to do this, how to do that, that you got to either continue to coach because they had a really good one. Or unfortunately, sometimes a kid may not have a great, skilled technician o-line coach and they're coaching bad habits out of them you know so i think in my opinion you got a better ability to move a d lineman to that side of the ball rather than moving a skill kid in well i'm glad you like the raw kids because i know stories from walls talking to guys and, and some of those coaches are not big fans of the raw they don't want to have to uh coach some of those kids up so i, I like that you said that coach well i think i mean and you played against those guys and i'm sure you maybe even played with some guys that got moved over i mean you know, I, I still remember when I played, we had two guys that were D linemen, were all state D linemen, and we moved them over the offensive side of the ball. And I mean, you want to talk about just trained killers. I mean, because right. they're explosive, they're twitchy because of the position that they play, and they, they, they knock people back playing defensive line. Now you're just, just doing it in a different way playing offensive line. You know, so to me, you know, obviously you want to have the best athletes you can. Now, you got some of those guys, and we have a ton at our place, and even had some at Sam that are those journeyman lineman kids they played a line their whole life they're really technically savvy they play hard they're just blue collar lunch pail kids and they're productive players for you but if you get an athlete like the d lineman that we play against even at sam houston especially the lineman we're gonna play against at monroe i mean if you get those guys to move them over to the line i mean you want to talk about now having a physical matchup that you can win you know it's not well that guy's just a better athlete so we're gonna lose that one-on-one and how can we avoid putting that kid in that position? Now it's like, hey, let, let the dogs be dogs. No, go let them eat. Now, now the toughest part on that whole thing, though, that you just said, because I totally agree, but now you got to get the defensive line coach to buy into it because you know they got to be nine deep on the D line because they can only go oh, hard. Oh, no doubt. They can only go hard no for doubt. three plays. So now you get them on that <laughs> no side. Doubt. Now you, now you, you got you to be able to, to kind of get that out of them, right? Hey, dude, you can't tap out after three plays now. We're on the offensive oh, side. Yeah. We actually, we actually got to have a twelve-play drive here. So that's, that was always my favorite. I'm like, why can't I have one of your second-string D linemen? Oh, I, I got to have some depth. I got to go. Like, geez, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I agree with you, and I think it's also it's and, it, and it's funny you guys talked about it a couple episodes ago. You know, guys like LeCharles and some of these guys that are you know some more you know well-known O-line players and O-line coaches. You know, now are starting to make that position's kind of becoming sexy again you know and mm-hmm. I always joke I go when I go recruit if there's a kid who's a D lineman in high school at a smaller school and he's not a D lineman he's an O lineman at the next level it could be a fantastic alignment at the next level and you say it to the kid you bring it up to him and he looks at you crazy when you say hey man we're recruiting you as an O lineman because they don't think that's sexy and I'm like last time I checked the guys who play the longest in the NFL and make the most money play on the offensive line so you know you want to look at me like I'm crazy you know if you all these kids think they're gonna play in the league well you want to play in the league and play for a long time, you know, you may want to make the move now, you know, I mean, it's just kind of part of the deal, but hopefully that there's a, the transition and the cool factor of the O-line is going to move back to where kids want to start doing that. 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it pretty much comes down to a numbers game too. I mean, heck, you want to talk you want to talk about that? Hey, there's always going to be 32 left tackles in the NFL. You know, as far as premier pass rushers, premier D linemen, what is there a handful of guys that are going to get double digit sacks? Unless you're that no freak, unless you're that freak, I mean. It, to me, those guys were pretty much born to play that position, and they're going to go get their sacks. You know, offensive line, it's, it's something I think that, that you can mold and you can find out there. You know, you, you find those 6'5 dudes that are 235, 240 pounds, and if they want it bad enough, it's like, hey, man, you can eat yourself into a pretty dang good offensive lineman. Oh, yeah. And like I said, it's just you got a better athlete than you normally are operating with when you recruit a true O-lineman body, you know, and again, do you want, do I want to have a room full of them? Probably not, but give me three, four. Now we might have something. And again, you got some guys that you can develop. And I think it's also kind of relative to where you're at too. You know, at Sam, you know, I always thought we didn't do as good a job of because we have to, because we had to have guys because we had a limited number of scholarships. Our guys, they had to play sooner than later, even in the O-line room, you know, so Mm -hmm. taking that taller, thinner kid, getting him bigger, putting, you know, getting him stronger and waiting on him to develop to where he can play when he's a redshirt junior. You know, sometimes you don't have that time. And if you miss on a kid and he doesn't develop, well, you just ate that scholarship for five years. You know, so the bigger programs to me, you know, that's that's a luxury they have. And that that's to me is exciting to, to one day be a part of, being able to have that. To me, in my opinion, at, at the higher levels, I think you take at least one project-type kid like that for a class in the O-line. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, this guy is a really freak athlete. He's not finished. He's raw. But if I can coach him, we can develop him, get him bigger and stronger. This kid has got a chance to be a monster, you know. And I think having that time, because you don't have to have those kids play tomorrow at that level because you have more scholarships and you have more depth in the room, I think that would be a fun, fun luxury to have that I've never got to experience yet. And it's really important the conference you're in because I've always said, you know, even when we were at Houston, that you get those teams that, that their best athletes at defensive end. A lot of times it's a – you know, a, a linebacker type kid, but they're able to put him at defensive end in some of those conferences because it is a little more sp- uh, spread offenses that they see. And so you've got normally, you know, a freak of a defensive end every week, at least at one, one, on one of the ends, even at that level, especially at that level, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, again, it's just, you know, those kids, like I said, I just, there's a higher ceiling a lot for those kids too. And again, if you can coach them up, I mean, a lot of guys, and I, I mean, this may sound kind of pretentious, but, you know, if you're scared to coach a kid, then that's more on you than the kid. You know, if you if you can't develop them, you can't reach the kid and, and communicate with them and be a teacher to them. You know, again, it's they're not all going to be, you know, they're not all going to be, you know, Tony, you know, Anthony Munoz. You know, they're not all going to be perfect, ready-made guys. You know, you're going to have to develop those guys, you know. And if you are able to tap into that, whether the kid was a career O-lineman or he was a career D-lineman, you still, you still got to reach the kid and coach. Coach, how many scholarships you, you generally uh, dish out to tight ends? Is is that something you guys talk about, or is that something kind of, you know, that's that's fluid based on? Hey, you know what? It's a bumper year for tight ends, or we got a lot of guys that are interested. What's kind of the the prime number for for your room at the college level? Uh, you know, really the number is very. It is it, it is very fluid, like you said. You know, again, it's kind of relative to what positions they. We may be senior laden at the linebacker position, and we may have to take another linebacker. So we're going to bump that tight end scholarship to the linebacker room. Or, you know, per se, we'd like to have at least four to five guys on scholarship at a time, especially being an 11. I mean, we're primarily an 11 personnel uh, team with, mm-hmm. with 12 and 10 mixed in. You know, so you want to at least have some of those guys because, again, 
body type wise on special teams, that's, that's a big deal. You know, you got to have some guys with some length that can run. And then obviously, you know, offensively, it's just, it's no different than the O-line. I mean, there's, there's going to be some guys get banged up. There's going to be some attrition. And so, you know, you got to have depth in the room to where, again, I always tell those guys every meeting, you know, if we have the young, the young buck in the room, if he's having MAs and he's messing up and he's not playing at a high level, eventually we're going to get to that guy in the season. You know, I've never had a season where the guys I started with in fall camp are the guys I finished with during the season. You know, I'm, I remember in 2014, our first year, I ended up losing both of my guys. The senior tight end that I had that was a possible NFL guy, he broke his foot in the Eastern Washington game or re-broke his foot that he had a screw in, so he was out. And then my true sophomore that was a stud, possible all-conference level kid, he has microfracture in the last game of the year against UCA, so I'm playing in the Fargo Dome with two walk-ons. You know, so it's kind of one of those deals that, hey, you know, you got to – you're always going to be as strong as the weakest link, you know, and so we got to make sure you have that kind of depth and, you know, because that position, especially because you're having to do the skill guy stuff and run around and play in space, but you're also having to do the nitty gritty down in the trenches on the last scrimmage too. How much time do you guys spend uh, with the offensive line in practice? And, and then how much time do you just spend, you know, just, just with the tight ends? Uh, I do a lot more stuff and I've kind of learned just in my last kind of probably two, three years, I get a lot more stuff positive done with my guys in pre-practice. So to me, you know, your pre-camp stuff, your pre-spring ball stuff, where you have those times when they're still doing the player red, uh, player run practices and things, since they've changed the rules where, you know, you can meet with your guys, that's the time you have the, the X and O meetings, the mental meetings, the technique conversations. I feel like you get a lot more stuff in that pre-practice time because, you know, they're they're able to get out. And also, it's relative to kids. I mean, these guys don't have an attention span to be in there for an hour meeting, mm-hmm. watching film, go over the script, and, hey, let's go out here and be locked in for practice for two hours, too. You know, so I've had more success, you know, like I said, the last few years of pre-practice, getting out, working some technique stuff. You know, you don't have to gas them. They don't need to be tongues hanging out by the time we do stretch. But you work some of those technique-specific, scheme-specific conversations you had in the meeting room out on the field. So now you're kind of having that verification. Again, you guys are both educators. You know, you have the Mm -hmm. on the board film room time. Now we have to go outside. Now we can touch it and feel it and have the, you know, physical understanding of the movements or of the techniques that I was talking about in the meeting before. And then uh, we try to at least have, you know, seven to 10 minutes every day uh, with the O-line. You know, Iman Nagavi is our O-line coach. Uh, Iman's a younger guy like me. We're really close. He's, I think he's an unbelievable uh, football coach, uh, and he and I, he kind of, he just sends the tackles to me, and we split up and do a lot of stuff. Um, obviously, most days we're going to have at least an 11 personnel inside, you know, period, and most days have a 12 personnel one as well. So we do a bunch of work together. Um, I think it's awesome, in my opinion, having a setup like we have at Monroe, where you have two O-line minds in the room. I think is phenomenal because. As you guys know from sitting in those meetings, everybody's got an RPO idea. Everybody's got a drop back concept that they love, but nobody <laughs> knows how you're going to pick up. Nobody knows how you're going to pick up, you know, the pressure of the week that you're going to see. Nobody knows how you're going to block tight zone or mid zone that week unless you got a really good O line guy in. And, and, and hopefully, if I'm not terrible, a good tight ends coach as well to kind of have that extra set of eyes for that specific stuff. And so, uh, he and Onyx, uh, we, we work really well together this spring. I thought we, we've got some really good chemistry and getting that time because he knows what I'm saying to those guys is what he's saying to those guys, you know, so we can kind of breathe the same air, if you will, 
uh, on the technique part of it when we're working the uh, scheme stuff during endo time. Coach, a lot of our listeners or a lot of questions I've gotten because, you know, it seems like everybody's 10 personnel these days and, and their excuse every single time it seems like is, well, we just don't have that tight end or we just, we just can't develop that tight end. What, what are some hints or some strategies maybe you have for a high school coach, you know, where to find some of these tight ends? What are some drills you're doing to develop these walk-ons? Because, I mean, you talked about it already you know, you had to develop depth. So you were developing kids that were passed over by a lot of different schools. No doubt. Uh, you know, to me, I think it's all – you always have that that defense – just like you said, the first place I'd look is the defensive line room. You're going to – especially at the high school level, you're going to have four four to five guys that are your go-daddies. You know, those are the dudes. They're the good players. Then you're going to have that 5'11", 225-pound, 230-pound kid who's – not quite as good as those other guys, but he's a tough kid. He'll strike you, and he plays hard. You know, so there's your place to look at it, too. Um, nowadays, every, you know, every kid wants to be a wideout. They all want to be a skill guy. You're going to have maybe that longer kid who's a little bit slower-footed, you know, maybe not a, you know, a 4-5 guy playing receiver out there that maybe he's got the physical stature and toughness to do it, too, you know. But my best players that I've played a tight end, one of them was a high school offensive lineman. One of them played running back in high school. The other one we played at Sam, who was an all-conference guy last year. He played – we recruited him and signed him as a linebacker, you know. And I think it's just the position is dead. I, I tell that to coaches all the time. Like, if a kid plays tight end and is a recruitable player, he's going to Michigan, okay? He's going to go to mm-hmm. Ohio State. He's not going to the places that I, that I coach at, you know. So you have to find those guys that, hey, listen, this kid is a – you know, he's a dude at, at defensive end. I mean, he's striking people, he's physical, but he's not quite that first step that we're going to recruit him as a defensive lineman, you know. And I, I said to all of our staff, you know, when we went into it too, you know, the, you know, one of our coaches, you know, at Sam Houston, Terrence Archer, our Whitehouse guy, he talks about it all the time. I want to find option quarterbacks. You know, if you have an option quarterback that's a bigger kid, you know, that he's 6'3", 6'2 and a half, 235 pounds, he runs with the ball, He's also, he's got ball skills, obviously, because he's, you know, running the option and operating that system. That guy right there sounds like a perfect tight end, you know, because he's going to have to have some courage because he runs with the ball every play. You know, he's obviously, if he's a bigger kid, you know, he's got some size to him too, you know. So you have to do the research. And to me, it's easy to recruit quarterbacks, man. You know, the stats are black and white. You see the motion on the film. Typically, you get to work with those kids at camp. And that's that's an easy position, coach. My wife can recruit quarterbacks. Okay, finding a tight end that that can actually play, and you can develop them into being a real guy for you, especially in today's football. Like you said, at the high school level, while everybody's spread and ten personnel throwing around, that becomes that becomes a difficult thing. And so, you just got to find those kids in, in in a certain position group that maybe are on that edge to to play or not play. And you know, you give a kid a home, I'll never forget. One of my favorite players I've ever coached. He was on the chopping block. I'll never forget this in the spring going into his red shirt freshman year. And he wasn't going to play defensive end for us. He's 5'11", great kid, athletic, but just not what we want at that position. You know, they said, Hey, I think we need to move him on. Maybe try to see if he wants to play D2. And I said, no, I'll take it. You know, that kid is one of the stronger kids on the team. He's mm-hmm. violent with his hands. He's explosive. He's just not – he's not sexy. He's 5'11". He's 5'11", 235 pounds, and nobody wants that playing defense in for him. You know, so I'll take him. And then the kid played in a boatload of snaps, one of the most productive players I've ever coached, and had a phenomenal career because of, again, 
he wasn't the mold. He didn't fit the mold. You know, if you're six yeah. five and you run, and you're two thirty, you can run and catch. You're not playing for Coach Ziegler. I'm sorry to break it to you for all those kids out there that may be listening. <laughs> best of luck with Coach Harbaugh. You know, but I'm not. You know, I'm just. I'm not. I don't have that luxury. You know, and again, you got to manufacture those kids and find those kids, and you got to do your work on the end as far as recruiting because those kids aren't going to come walking up to you. You know, and, and fall in your lap. You know, at least they haven't for me. You know, so but that's fine because I've had a lot of really good players that haven't fit that mold. Uh, I, I think you said it too. I mean, you talk about it, giving a kid a home. Well, how many of these guys, these, these coaches that would contact me and are complaining about not being able to develop tight ends, you don't have a tight ends coach. You know, I, to mm-hmm. me, that's, to me, that's a huge deal where if you have a tight ends coach, now that guy can go out and he can recruit those kids in the school. Yep. He can, he can develop these kids. He can make these kids feel wanted rather than, oh, yeah, go down there with the O-line, and the O-line coach will talk to you every, you know, fifth play. Or, hey, go down there with the receiver, <laughs> go down there with the receiver coach, and they'd be like, oh, man, this guy isn't fast enough to play for me. When all of a sudden they have a coach that's talking to him and meeting with them and teaching them and develop them, whoa, all of a sudden now you got a bunch of tight ends. No doubt, no doubt. Coach, you talked about a little bit, um, you know, the, the short attention span, you know, of kids and, and of everybody really right now, but um, uh, of kids coming up. So I'm kind of curious because it's something that I've noticed the same thing, and I had it in college too, didn't have the longest attention span. And so what I've started cutting back is on uh, the kids watching film of another team, right? We don't watch a whole lot of defensive, uh, you know, whoever we're playing, we don't uh-huh. watch a whole lot of their film. We just watch the film we do watch. Most of it is on us. So I'm curious because you guys do have a little more time than us, but, you know, you still have kids with roughly the same attention span. So how much uh, defensive film are you watching with the kids? And then how much of it is you just setting them up in the right uh, positions and practice because you've been the one watching film? Well, you know, I talk about this with a lot of my close coaching friends in, in the college level and, you know, what we did, just kind of answer a question, I guess, on the front end. At SAM, we had kind of some voluntary on the off day. We had a voluntary film time for the kids. Hey, listen, I had my guys that came up at 9 o'clock because we practiced in the morning, so they got to sleep in a little bit. I bought them donuts. You know, hey, come up. You know, watch film on your own. Volunteer, you know, film time. You know, and they would come up. I'd have a little bit, you know, just a little checklist, and we would make cut-ups. That was the short and sweet of it. You know, it wasn't every snap of the defenses for them for that season. It was – Hey, here's their, here's the, you know, here's the pressures cut up. Here's the fronts cut up, you know, so they see this is, this is the most predominant front I'm going to see. This is the most predominant coverage I'm going to see. This is the most predominant pressure I'm going to see. So now they at least knowing it going into it for that first meeting on Tuesday, they've got an idea of what's going on, you know, so that, that's what we did, you know, to kind of cut back on that. You put a little bit of ownership on the kids um, or maybe they can do that stuff. But I say all the time, like I said, I, I talk about with my friends, what do you, what do we do all day? Okay. And I know you guys teach class and God bless you for doing that. But even <laughs> when you're teaching class or there's, there's, there's time off when you're not teaching class, what are you doing? You're watching film. Dang you know, right. you guys live and breathe it. We're doing the same thing. I, we get up to the office. I'm up to the office at six o'clock. I'm watching film. I'm watching cutups. I'm watching recruiting film. And what are these guys doing? They're getting up. They go to the calf. They got to do, <laughs> they're, they're getting ready to go to class. They're doing homework. They're taking tests. They're talking to their girlfriend. They're talking to their mom and dad. And by the time they show up to you, you're asking them to have an hour and 20 minute meeting and watch film and notice the details and the fine points of things that you've been noticing. Cause you've been in there all day doing it. Like it's just not realistic, you know, mm-hmm. and coaches sometimes lose sight of that. They think that those kids are in there with us all day, grinding and watching film and, and preparing. That's not the case, you know, and 
unfortunately, because kids' attention spans are short, they need the cliff notes, okay? They don't need to read, you know, the full book. They need the cliff notes because at least if they have an idea and then through the practice scripts, the cards and practice that you go through, the specific looks and things, that's where they're going to learn it and retain it for come game time because now I've seen it. You know, again, you showed me the, the quick, you know, short of it, the summary of what I need to be prepared for the most. And then now I get to see it on film during practice or excuse me, see it on the field in personal practice. Now I'm actually prepared for the game, you know, and I think to me, some, sometimes less is more with these kids, you know, and, and we all feel like we, I got to out coach you. I'm, I'm, I got to out coach the guy on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not going to lose my one-on-one battle with him this week. Well, if your kids don't know what they're doing because you've overwhelmed them and they've got too much on their plate, you're not going to beat anybody, you know? So at the end of the day, how do we get our kids to play fast? How do we get them to have know what's going on, but yet not overwhelm them and overload them to where it's just they're they're zombies and they can't play football and play again play with speed and with you know, again confidence and just their normal way they play. Well, I love that answer. And and uh, my first year, my first two years at Houston, and we were really good. But my first two years, our coach would our offensive line coach would have us come in like twice a week to watch uh, defensive fronts and coverages to uh formations and and i'm sitting there the whole time thinking we never know what the formation is anyway in our offense they never tell us no the formation. so so what are we doing <laughs> Just wait, I mean, we're wasting time i'm wasting an hour of my time that's all i could think of there because i'm like they don't even tell us what formation we're in what what are we doing watching this and so uh I, i'm glad that that's not obviously it's not like that everywhere and then as we got you know some other coaches in they came in and and did more like you were saying still i think a little too much uh, defense because then you just go out to practice and, and see it and like you said they're watching film all day why don't they tell me hey the, they're gonna blitz when they when you get this certain role from the safety when they stack this linebacker you're gonna see this their second uh, favorite blitz and they're gonna majority be in this in this front they could show me that on the whiteboard in five minutes now I know it and then like you said you go through the whole week um, and then you you know you rep those those looks you rep those blitzes and then um, you know take a little onus on themselves to see maybe they can pick up something from each individual player. But even that, you know, it seems like as a coach, as much film as you watch, you're probably going to be the one that picks up on some of those little things and, and can give that to your kids. Well, I think the other part of it too, that I feel like is, you know, and then this may sound like in some, some of the older coaches in the world are probably cringing, you know, an overfront <laughs> an overfront, you know, if it's, if it, is it odd four eyes? Is it odd? You know, they work in the bear. I mean, what is the what is the specific nature of the opponent that you're facing that week? If it is a odd fifty front, nineteen sixties odd front, then that's all we need to tell them. Like we don't need to go into now. If it's an odd front, sometimes they play a four eye to the tight end. They they squeeze the safety down to the feet. Like that's the stuff those kids need to know. Like there's you got to give kids some credit too. You know, like they know what a four down structure is. Okay, they know what a bear structure is. Okay, we're past that. This is how they play their they're odd front this week okay this is their version of, of odd okay so now we have to now we can log that in our mind and again you take that sample size from being overwhelming even to us as coaches you take that sample size and now you, you minimize it you bring it down to where now they're in the game and they recognize that and they say oh okay that's what coach was talking about you know <laughs> i think it's i think it's so hilarious because you I mean you sit there as a ga and you break down the film and I had some guys who were very meticulous and they wanted to know percentages, you know, so they'd go through and be like, Hey, coach walls. 
I think he's in a two eye here and you had him marked in a two. Oh, oh, my bad, you know. So it cha changes the numbers. Okay, now 6.7% of the time, you know, they're in, they're in an even front <laughs> instead of, you know, the, the two eyes and threes, whatever it was. But it's always my favorite when they'd sit there, you know, and they'd go through those percentages like, hey, 24% of the time they play this, you know, 13% of the time they're in this. I'm like, uh, they're not going to do that against us, though. And you go back and you, you look at that. it and it's like, 45% of the time they were in even. Holy cow, what a tendency breaker. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you're kind of just chasing your tail anyway. It's like you said, teach rules of defense to kids. They'll figure the rest of that stuff out. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. Well, Coach, you're also, right, you've been doing special teams for a while, and that's always kind of intriguing to me because I got lucky enough that Houston, I was with Coach Levine, and he was he was the closest I've ever seen to just – an absolute mastermind with special teams. So how did you get to, uh, you know, start working with special teams and, and now um, you're, you're their coordinator, right? A special teams coordinator? Yep. Yeah, and, yep, and now being the coordinator of the special teams, you know, so you've got uh, tight ends and then you're also coordinating the whole special teams. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, my kind of really my first, I guess, initiation into it, you know, when I was at Sam with Coach Fritz, I mean, he is – he is all about special teams. I mean, that's that's what he coaches. You know, he's he's one of the best special teams minds that I know. Um, and he kind of, you know, I was always on the outside looking in because I was the O-line, you know, really the O-line GA at the time. And then when I became tight ends coach, now I got to coach some positional things and, you know, from 12 moving forward that those last two years. Um, you know, and then when Coach Keeler came in, I stayed as just the tight ends coach. And our running backs coach that we hired, um, was one of my dearest friends. He he played uh, there at Sam Houston with me. Um, he you know he was a special teams guy for those first two years uh, with Coach Keeler, and then when Matt left and actually went to Louisiana Monroe, ironically enough, um, I you know Coach Keeler came to me and said, "Hey, listen, you know I want you to take this thing over and I want you to do it." And I love it in the sense of I try to simplify it in the sense of just breaking it down to what's what's the nuts and bolts of it. You know, it's just like it's just like offensive line play. It's about footwork. It's about hand placement. It's about technique. And the best special team units play with the best technique and have the best understanding of leverage. And, again, everything I'm saying for the aligned world is the same same words, it's the same stuff we talk about all the time, you know. So I think bringing that kind of mentality and approach to it has helped me, uh, helped us be successful. You know, we were really successful at SAM. And, obviously, you know, here at Monroe, I thought we had a great spring on special forces. You know, I really really excited where we went, uh, where we were going. Part of that has to do with also my excitement at, at Monroe of, you know, Coach Vitor is he's, – he's like a lot like Coach Fritz. I mean, he's all over special teams. You know, he coaches our punt return team. You know, he coaches oh, – he coaches a position on our kick return team. You know, so he's he's into it and the kids are into it as well because all the coaches are into it and we, we coach it really hard. Um, but I've enjoyed – you know, you get to coach all the kids on the team, man. That's my favorite part. You know, I'm coaching wideouts. I'm coaching DBs. You know, I'm coaching everybody, you know, and that part – being an offensive coach or being a defensive coach, you're segmented to your side of the ball. You know, you got your dudes, your guys, but you don't get to coach or talk or have any interaction with those guys other than maybe some crossover drill work, you know. And so I've loved it. I mean, my tight ends were giving, you know, joking with me after like the first week of spring, we're in there watching film, you know, of the offensive defensive stuff. And I'm naming kids on defense, like, hey, watch, you know, watch Sam right here on the, you know, we wrong shoulders, you on the split zone. They're like, coach, how did you know his name? You've been here like a week. I'm like, hey, man. I got to know everybody on special teams, you know, special I, I, I got to be, I got to be the guy that knows everybody's name. I can't just be yelling out number 21, you know, I got to, I got to know his name, you know, so 
um, that part's it's been fun. It definitely is stressful. Um, I always joke, you know, I'm, I'm uh, noticing a couple, maybe a couple gray hairs uh, in my head because of that. Because I mean, it is it's a, it's a sort of the game, you know. And and being around it, being around some really good special teams guys like I have, um, you understand the importance of it. And you know, at Sam, you know, obviously, I mean, we we won some games the last couple of years because of our performances, you know. And I think that's something that you know, it's 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 an understated deal. I think it's all about the culture too. Um, I think that's something I've I've tried to really establish at, here at Monroe, and I, I I thought I did a really good job at Sam. Those kids, I mean, they wanted to be in that room, and you know, mm-hmm. when they play hard because they want to be in that room because of the culture you have set up, then they're going to go out there and they're going to you know they're going to put their blood and guts on the line for you, you know. And I also liked it too because that's where you get to glorify the kids, are the kids that are the reason you're coaching football. You know, we have walk-on kids that are not stars. You know, they're not starters on defense. They're not starters on offense. But they're kids that go out there every day and just kill it for you on special teams. And, you know, I had a ton of them at Sam. We've got several at Monroe that are just kids. I mean, you want to adopt them. You know, you love them because every day they come, they're doing it for free, and they love ball, and they're going out there, and they're freaking running down and trying to split the double team on kickoff. You know, they're – they're, you know, trying, they're, they're working to, to, to hip level the shield on pump lock, you know, and it's like kids that do stuff like that are the reason why you, you got into coaching. You know, it's not because the stars, that's fun because they're, they're big time players. And those are the, those are the big time guys on the front of the media guide, but those guys that are in that middle section of the media guy that nobody knows who they are. Those are the guys that I love coaching because really on special teams, a lot of times too, you know, towards the end of the year, that's really their primary role. So, they're going to be with you the whole time. You know, sometimes a star defensive player, boy, he was killing for you on kickoff. Well, we got sent at safety. Well, guess who's the first guy that gets pulled off that face? You know, so now you're running down with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of walk-ons and try-hard guys. And so I think that tells you a lot about the character of your football team, too, when you have guys that can go out there that may be limited from a just DNA standpoint, but they go out there and they, they bust their butt and try because they love ball and they love being there. So I think that part's really awesome. Coach, how important is it too with special teams? I mean, to me, it was always you know sitting in those meetings as well. The, the rule changes. I mean, being able to teach those kids football and rules and, and all the different crazy rules they have in special teams, to me, that's that's got to be something you got to preach nearly every single day. No doubt. I think you know the 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 new kickoff thing. That's going to be you know definitely interesting. I think for a lot of people. Um, you know, I know there's a kind of a little bit of a backlash in the special teams world about that. You know, because Again, by the time the whistle's blown and the fair catch has happened with a new rule, those frontline guys that are, you know, double teaming somebody and then, you know, for trying just wearing one, they're still doing that. You know, they're 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 not getting saved by this new rule. You know, it's just maybe yeah. a returner who's getting hit, you know, and, and I just you know, I think like you said though, we do so much more situational awareness stuff. You know, we talk about base rules, teaching fundamentals of, of how to block for punt, you know, how to how to set up our, you know, punt return. But we also have to talk so much about situational awareness and situational things, too, because, mm-hmm. again, like you said, those kids have that offensive and defensive playbook memorized. They don't, they don't have the, the rules on special teams memorized. You know, they, they see on TV in the NFL, well, the guy, you can't cross the, you can't cross the play of the end zone if you're a, you're a gunner on punt to keep the ball in. Well, in college, you can be, you can be across the line. The ball is mm-hmm. the only thing they can't pass. You know, so those are kind of some of those small nuances and things like that that, you have to know as a coach and you have to present them. And like you said, you have to remind them, you know, and really every Friday, my Friday reminders are sometimes play, you know, 
I guess, schematic specific to the opponent, but a lot of them are, hey, you know, listen, if we get a safety, we have to move up on kick return. You know, it's 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 stuff like that that those kids are like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that you know, until you brought it to their attention. You know, because, again, they're they're worried about, oh, we got to do third down package on defense, and i got to remember the pressures we got out of it this week. You know, they're, they're, they forget about some of that stuff, which is can lose your game just as fast as an MA or on offense or MA on defense. No doubt. Well, you talk about all the, the safety changes, and, I, and I've said it every time someone's brought that up, but just looking out for my offensive line guys, I can't believe of all the safety changes they've made that they still allow shield punt. Just, guy, just to get a running start, yeah. 12 yards, and, and hit the guy in the face. I can't believe – I've always thought that'd be the first one. I felt so bad for the guys that had to be on shield punt. Well, it's very ironic you bring that up because we're a shield punt team. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think the thing about it is, you know, we just – you know, there's there's football is a violent game. And, you sure. know, again, I'm, 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 a, I'm a parent, you know, so I get the understanding and people caring about well-being of the kids. And especially when we recruit kids, their parents are – putting them in our hands to care for them and take care of them. But again, I mean, you know, eventually, you know, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out, you know, what are we, you know, it's, it's, and that's why I even always sit on kickoff. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a big hit on a kick returner uh, since I've been doing special teams, like yeah. an actual returner one-on-one, somebody missed a block and the guy hit him just head up and just, just buried him. You know, I can't even tell you if I've seen one of those. It's just those plays are so few and far between, you know, but it's no different if when you were playing left tackle, you know, and you slide the wrong direction and the quarterback gets sacked, that's just as horrific a collision or violent a play as it is right. if it was on kickoff. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just you're, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs, in my opinion, of what are we really trying to do or what are we really trying to change, you know, and I just – to me, I, I don't want because I'm again I'm an online guy. I don't want it to be seven on seven. You know, I don't want them to be out there just throwing the ball around and tagging off on the hip, and because that's not football. You know, so again, it's just kind of that fine line of what are we really doing to to protect the kids and protect the game? You know, and I think it's just kind of it's part of it. You know, kids kids are gonna get, you can get a concussion playing soccer and heading the football. You know, so I mean mm-hmm. that's that's still part of the game for that. You know, so it's just we gotta again we gotta kind of be smart. And I, I'm all about protecting the kids, but it's still got to be football still at the end of the day. <laughs> That's right. Well, Coach, uh, you know, coming up on an hour, so just going to end it with um, – I asked this question to everybody, but you're watching another offensive line play uh, for another team. What's some things they'd be doing that would uh, make you think really highly of their offensive line, Coach? You know, to me, I think the biggest thing, I just uh, – you can tell guys that enjoy playing the game and guys that enjoy playing with each other, you know, and I think you see – you see five guys that, you know, you, you watch an explosive play on offense and you see five guys chasing the ball and excited. You know, you see them score and they're running into the end zone to go, you know, pick up the wide out or pick up the running back because they scored, you know, because they're excited about getting out there and, and playing the game. You know, I think that to me is something that, you know, guys that, that can make their players play at a productive level and play at a high level – but still have the joy, you know, that you had that very first time you went out and played football, you know, and I think especially just because the position is so physically demanding, snap to snap, down to down, to have guys that are still excited and still have fun and, and can go out and have that joy that, you again, you had when you were a kid, I think that that's pretty evident on film, you know, because, again, that shows me that those kids not only enjoy ball, they enjoy playing for their coach, you know, and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're trying to get those kids to play hard for us, and if they do that, that's because – you're coaching them the right way. They believe in you. They know that you love them and care about them. And I think to me, that's that tells a lot about that guy, coach. 
Coach, it's a great answer, man. It, it was awesome to get to, to catch up with you. I miss, miss those times you'd come rolling through Broken Arrow and we'd be able to sit in the office and BS for a good hour or two. So it's been good oh, hearing man, your voice I, again, man. I miss it too, man. So I, need, I, need to, I want to get back to the hotel and watch some Big Lebowski and, and get, some good, <laughs> get some good quotes going, man. I know you're a Lebowski guy. You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. All right, guys, I appreciate you having me, man. This has been an absolute blast. And if you guys are ever – Again, I know you guys are a little bit further off than, than some other people, but if you guys are ever in the in the Monroe area and want to come over and talk ball and, and have a cold pop, you let me know, man. You're more than welcome. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.